it's Karen here, founder and owner of Bed and Breakfast Academy. In this week's episodes, I'm going to share my guilty confession about staying at Bed and Breakfasts. And I'm also going to share one of my most enjoyable and recommended ways of getting inspiration for designing your own B&B. When I talk about designing a B&B, I'm not really talking about the colour of the wallpaper or the carpet, but I'm talking about the whole B&B experience, including your own experience and lifestyle as a B&B owner. And designing the sort of life you want as a B&B owner is a crucial first step. In fact, it's the first step in owning your own bed and breakfast business. Most of the people who take my course are looking for a change in lifestyle. Maybe you want to move from a frantic nine to five commute, something a bit more relaxed, or you want to spend more time with your partner, your family, or even your pets. Though as I'm recording this, my my dog is sucking on a blanket noisily beside me. So apologies if you hear any strange noises. So it's important to get very clear on your goals for running a B&B before you even start to think about buying or setting one up. When you go through the first couple of modules in the B&B course, you'll see it's very much about helping you design the ideal B&B lifestyle for you, as I discussed with Claire on our call last week. That might be down to location, the type of guests, the style of B&B you want to run, the number of rooms you decide to have, and lots more besides. For example, the number of rooms you have could make a big impact on your lifestyle. I opened my B&B in 2004 and ran a two-room B&B for four years before we added our third room. And I was really surprised how much of a difference one extra room made to the amount of work I had to do. Obviously, I knew I had the extra room to clean, but I hadn't really accounted for all the extra interaction with guests, running out of supplies more quickly, which involved more shopping, the extra cooking, serving breakfast, and all the extra washing. But before I get too deep into the detail of this week's podcast, I just wanted to start off by sharing something a bit personal with you. We've just come back from a weekend in London where our beautiful daughter, Jessica, got married to her longtime boyfriend, Sam. They've been together for 11 years, wow. She's our only child, so it was uh, my first and my last chance to be mother of the bride, which I think is something of a mixed blessing. It was a small wedding, as small as they get, without it actually being an elopement. I think they call them a micro-wedding. Just the happy couple, both sets of parents, and Sam's brother, Scott, at uh, Marleyburn Town Hall. We hadn't met Sam's family before, despite Jess and Sam being together for so long. So that added a frisson of excitement and maybe a touch of nervousness to the occasion. But we all got on very well, uh, especially after the father of the groom and I discovered a shared uh, passion for 80s heavy rock bands. Oh, that's another confession of mine. And it was a wonderful, if emotional, weekend. I must admit, I found the run-up to the wedding just a little stressful. I'm not a great shopper, that's a bit of an understatement. And living in the middle of nowhere makes the whole shopping for the mother of the bride dress thing a bit more difficult. Thank heavens for the internet. 
I must have ordered and returned over 20 dresses. And in fact, I've had to put a spreadsheet together to keep track of all the spending and to make sure that I'm getting all my uh, my money back from the returns. Despite the joys of internet shopping, I still wasn't happy with my bag and shoes. So I ended up buying a, a new pair of mules from Anso Stories and a very lovely bag from TK Maxx of all places. I've never been successful shopping in TK Maxx. So how it so how it happened that I managed to find the perfect bag in there in five minutes flat, I don't know. We'd actually just had our hair done. I'd left Jess having some finishing touches put to hers. We were 15 minutes from the hotel. We had two hours for the wedding started. So it was a little bit of a frantic shop, but successful. I was beginning to panic about getting back to the hotel. So I grabbed a taxi only to end up with a black cab driver who didn't know where our hotel was. And to be honest, I wasn't that sure either. I did actually live in that part of London for eight weeks during one university summer holiday, but I just used to walk from my office um, right up to Russell Square where I was staying and back again. So I didn't, I'd have a lousy sense of direction. So I'd spent the weekend following my husband and daughter everywhere Luckily, I had Google Maps, so I was able to point the the cabbie in the right direction and I got back in time. We'd uh, treated ourselves to a stay at the Rosewood Hotel in Hoburn. Hoburn? Holborn? Who knows? Which is an amazing hotel and was the perfect venue for meeting up with uh, our new family-to-be having drinks, having lunch, getting ready and uh, just chilling. The rooms were gorgeous. And the happy couple were very lucky to get upgraded to a rather nice, enormous suite. You could get lost in it. There was a, a bathroom with a, there was a TV in the bathroom and there was a separate lounge, a separate cloakroom, uh, the bedroom, a uh, dressing room. It was like a maze. This sort of brings me to my confession about B&Bs. I know a lot of B&B owners do the honourable thing and support other B&B owners when they go away. But this is my confession. We have to admit, we tend to avoid staying in B&Bs. Uh, I'll explain in a minute before you hold your hands up in shock horror. And we've never really stayed in English B&Bs before I set one up. We did stay in a B&B just after we got married. This was back in the 80s when most B&Bs were a very different uh, proposition. They were always just the cheap, uh, not always, but mostly the cheap alternative to the hotel. So I bought a Stratford-upon-Avon theatre package for Rob's birthday. That included the B&B, the theatre tickets and dinner. Unfortunately, I went for the cheaper package. The B&B had a folding plastic door. If you grew up in the 70s like I did, you'll remember those. And the toilet was a shared one down the corridor. We actually ended up making our excuses and, and, and not staying the night. So confessing to not staying in B&Bs when I train aspiring bed and breakfast owners sounds like an awful thing to admit. But there is a good reason for it, or method in my madness, as Shakespeare sort of wrote in the play we were watching. When I do stay at a B&B, it is such a busman's holiday for me that I just can't relax. 
I'm either looking around with a critical eye all the time thinking, well, I wouldn't do it that way, or I get in a dreadful sulk because they made a much better job of it than I did. There are some amazing B&Bs around these days. Um, a lot of people who have come on my courses have set up some pretty fantastic properties or getting to be number one in TripAdvisor in their area and winning awards. And we even had um, Daisy of Mount Pleasant Farm won the B&B of the year and I think it was the I Awards a couple of years ago. She's made uh, an amazing job of her place. It's, it's lovely. It's, it's, it's amazing when people come on my course and create something beautiful, but I do get a little bit of envy. Which sort of brings me on to how I decided what sort of B&B I wanted to run in the first place. When I first set up Hopton House, there were far fewer of these amazing sort of luxury B&Bs around. So there really wasn't much to base my business model on. Having worked for British Airways for so many years and been lucky to visit some rather lovely hotels all across the world, I've gathered a lot of inspiration for my own B&B from what I loved about them. As well as gathering inspiration from what you've loved, by staying at an amazing hotel or a really luxurious B&B. You can also get some ideas from what you really don't like. Now, I know that might sound a bit negative, but making a list of the things you don't like about places you stayed at can be a great starting point when you're thinking about your own B&B. If you're not yet at a point of setting up your B&B, then I'd suggest you uh, equip yourself with a small notebook or set up a Google Doc and take it with you every time you go away. Fill it with all the things you love about a place and also all the things you don't like so much about where you're staying. And I promise you it's going to turn into a mine of useful information for you. And if you're not someone who would normally splurge on accommodation like the Rosewood, then I recommend doing it at least once to get some ideas of what uh, different standards of accommodation offer. Actually, even once you're running a B&B, I recommend you continue researching and you're going to need to treat yourself to some nice holidays when you can as well. One set of repeat guests who came to us, they used to visit us every April during the Easter holidays, they'd arrive with their enormous boxer, Great Dane Cross Buster. And they said they loved to look around the room on their return and see what new things I'd added to the room and to the B&B and to my menu. So I think it's important to not rest on your laurels or get complacent when you're running a B&B. There's probably always an opportunity to improve something or add in a new service that your guests will uh, appreciate, enjoy, even if it's, it's just a new item on the breakfast menu or on the buffet. Every time we went away, I'd look at places for inspiration and ideas and make little changes to the way I did things when I got back home to, to start running the B&B again. And in fact, on this trip, I had buttermilk pancakes at the hotel and I was quite inspired by the the mascarpone which they served on top of the pancakes. It's not something I'd thought of doing. I always thought cream was a little too much in the morning on pancakes and yoghurt was always a little bit too sour. So the mascarpone actually worked really well. I'm a mascarpone fan, so I would say that. A lot of the time, 
hotels and B&Bs are designed without the owners having ever stayed in the rooms. So that's probably more so in hotels and B&Bs. Though if you hadn't thought of staying in your B&B rooms, that's something that I think I find I think is really important to do. So you can find out things like the fact that the bedside lamps uh, are too small to read by, as an example. And it's something you should probably do at least once a year, continue doing to check everything is still as you remembered it. If you get the chance... It's also a good idea to get some honest friends to stay before you open properly, like Claire Byrne, who I spoke to in uh, the first podcast episode, and her husband Phil did when they opened their B&B, the Corner Broadstairs. But make sure you tell your friends that you're expecting honest feedback. Telling you to your face that everything's perfect when they're grumbling about something on the drive home is no use to you whatsoever. So let's go back to our hotel uh, for the weekend. The first thing we loved about it was the service. It was friendly and attentive. And I think my husband described it, it wasn't too cloying. You know, it wasn't being over the top or in your face. I can sometimes go into country bumpkin mode a bit when I go, to her, go into London and I can feel, start to feel intimidated by very posh hotels. There's that slight feeling that the staff are looking down at you just a little bit. And in this hotel, you just didn't feel that at all. They were very friendly with everybody. And the other extreme is where you can't move or look towards a member of staff without uh, them jumping on you, asking if you need anything. I think the only thing that niggled me about the hotel service was that we got back to our room at 8.30 the night before the wedding you know, we'd, we'd, we'd had a long day travelling. I'm making excuses here. The groom had called us lightweights as we headed off to bed, as he was heading to the bar. But we'd, we'd had a long day travelling. Uh, we'd had lunch with a couple of glasses of champagne. Jess and I had gone out to get a manicure and we wanted an early night because we had a wedding to go to the next day. And um, when we got back to the room, they hadn't turned down our room yet. Now... I'll be absolutely honest with you, I can live without a turn-down service. So it really didn't matter to me. We just hung up the Do Not Disturb notice and we were just dropping off to sleep when the chambermaid rapped loudly on the door asking if we wanted the room turned down. You know, what's the point of a Do Not Disturb sign? A turn-down service, as as an aside, isn't something I'd normally expect in, in a B&B. Whilst you may think it's a nice extra to offer, you do need to think about what a tie it could be for you in the evening. You're potentially having to wait for guests, well, you will be having to wait for guests to go out before you can go and turn down their their room. And if you've got to go out yourself, that could be a, a, a bit of an issue. And if you start doing something like that at the start of your B&B career the problem is that repeat guests come to expect it so you sort of get stuck it reminds me of the the freshly squeezed orange juice I started with freshly squeezed orange juice and um, because I had so many repeat guests who loved it it was something I could never stop doing and I can tell you on some mornings as I was squeezing hundreds of oranges just to get six glasses of juice out it's something I regretted one of my friends uh, used to offer a turn down service and one night they went to pop a hot water bottle into the bed 
of the B&B room. It was quite a cold night. And they uncovered two pairs of feet. They hadn't actually realised that the guests were already back from dinner and tucked up in bed. Again, back to uh, the Weekends Hotel. They had got most of the basics right, which I would expect for the amount we were paying. Uh, the bed was large and comfortable with luxurious bed linen. The, the towels were thick and luxurious and the bath mats were the same. They had um, face cloths as well. However, there were a couple of things that surprised me because I think they're quite basic. And I think this goes down to um, hotel staff generally aren't sleeping in their rooms to test them. A few weeks ago, I'd gone down to London to spend some time with Jess and I'd booked a night at the Pullman Hotel near Euston. It's a big hotel. I felt safe staying there, but I stayed in one of the cheapest rooms. All I needed was a comfortable bed to fall into after a couple of margaritas, as well as a good shower for the morning. And I also wanted a hotel that was within walking distance so I didn't have to mess with tubes or taxis in the morning. And one thing I noticed as soon as I got in the room was it was a wash with USB ports, two by each side of the bed and two by the desk. You might ask, why does one woman travelling on her own need so many USB ports? Well, there's my phone to charge. I'm paranoid about not having my phone charged because my ticket's on it, I, you know, my credit cards are on it. I pay for most things using my phone these days. And I have my, my nice new shiny Apple Watch. And there's no point tramping around dress shops if you can't benefit from the steps and get those rings closed. And then, of course, my headphones as well. So you, you get the idea. Well, I was so excited about so many USB ports. So I was actually very surprised when the hotel we stayed in at the weekend had no USB ports at all. You know, it's not something they actually advertise, but I thought they would. In fact, I was so certain they'd have them, having stayed at this other hotel previously, that I hadn't even bothered to take a USB plug with me. My husband, luckily he'd taken one, but he'd only taken one plug. So we spent the whole weekend unplugging each other's devices when the other one wasn't looking. Now, people aren't necessarily expecting USB ports in a B&B, though it is easy to buy electric sockets with the ports built in these days. And to be honest, if I were setting up a B&B from scratch, I would make sure I had them in the room, uh, plus either side of the bed. But, you know, if, if even if you don't supply the ports, you could maybe supply some spare USB plugs if people have forgotten theirs or just thought they hadn't needed to bring them. In fact, automatically supplying essential items like a USB plug is something that um, has earned me an awful lot of guest brownie points over the years. It's one of the most commented things in my guest book and in my reviews. In the case of the missing USB ports, my expectation of the USB port was raised by the other hotel. So my thought processes went something like this. If a hotel charging £120 a night offers USB ports, then one charging much more must have them too. So I think this is why it's a good idea to keep an eye on what your local competition is doing to see if you can borrow some of their ideas. A uh, little hint here, online reviews are a really good starting point if you don't actually want to book in and, and stay with your neighbours at their B&B. Our hotel at the weekend had a very good salon quality hair dryer. In fact, in Jess's room in the suite, they actually had one of the new Dyson hair dryers, which I don't know if you've seen, they are so expensive. 
and I did mean to go and try it out to see what all the fuss was about. So back to our room, but when I came to find somewhere to sit down and dry my hair, I realised there was no mirror near the plug socket by the dressing table. They'd supplied a very small lit magnifying makeup mirror, but you know that's which was you know plus point for that, but that's no good for drying my hair with so minus point. I ended up standing by the open wardrobe door, which uh, was the only decent sized mirror in the room in the wardrobe. Uh, and the bathroom and of course in the UK we don't take hair dryers into the bathroom the bathroom was luxurious and they were very generous with the toiletries two small bottles of everything oh yes and hair conditioner definitely huge plus for me that's something I'm seeing a lot more when I stay in hotels they never used to supply hair conditioner and even the more basic hotels tend to do that these days and there were lots of those little extras like a little loofah mitt thingy who knew that I needed a loofah mitt thingy and who doesn't love going into a hotel room and searching out all of those little extras? And of course, these days, there was the standard hygiene pack of face masks, hand sanitizer, and disinfectant wipes. Oh, and another big yes from me for also supplying a bath towel as well as a bath sheet. And I don't think I've ever seen that in a hotel before. And it's something that I did in my own B&B. And the reason I was so happy about this was that after I wash my hair, I always wrap it in a bath towel. Bath sheets are too big or I end up using the only two bath sheets in the room for my body and hair. And then the husband gets grumpy because all he's got is a soaking wet towel to dry himself off with. The tea tray had an espresso machine with instructions. Uh, not everyone has an espresso machine at home, so the instructions are really helpful. And they also had a kettle. I lose count of the hotel rooms I've stayed in that just supply them an espresso machine or a coffee maker with no kettle, um, mostly in America, I guess. And I'm left just trying to boil coffee-flavoured water for my peppermint tea in the espresso machine. As a starting point, it's a great idea to design a B&B experience based on your own personal likes and dislikes. But then I think you have to think a bit more widely. So the rooms with just an espresso machine and no kettle are probably designed by die-hard coffee drinkers who wouldn't even think about those of us who wanted peppermint tea in the middle of the night. Another B&B uh, we did stay at quite a few years ago didn't actually supply a tea tray in the room, but they offered a, a tray of tea brought to the room in the morning quite early. And Whilst that level of customer service is nice, it doesn't really accommodate those of us who sometimes wake in the night to make ourselves a cup of tea. Okay, so back again to our hotel. It did have a tea tray, tea tray and there was a fridge in the room, which was nice, but no fresh milk, which I would have liked. The last time we stayed in a hotel with a fridge, they'd actually put this little mini bottle of milk in, in the fridge, which is a really nice touch. And I know we could have rung down for some, but you know, when you fancy a cup of tea, when you can't sleep at 3am, it's the last thing you want to be doing is, is calling down to room service. One nice touch was three large flip top bottles of water and they had a little seal over them actually so that you could see no one else had opened them. Actually, there's a discussion ongoing in the course Facebook group at the moment about whether to supply water for guests. Many of my course identities, as I used to do, have supplied mineral water in the past, but with the focus on cutting down on plastic, that's becoming an issue. 
I always used to supply um, a couple of bottles, uh, glass bottles of sparkling water and a large flip top kiln jar with filtered water from our filter water tap. So those are some great things about the hotel you, we were staying at. <laughs> and actually you can start to see that actually it's not just B&Bs that turn into a busman holiday for me, but wh where, whenever I go on holiday. But the nice thing about expensive hotels is I don't get there doing this better than I could grumpiness. They're obviously doing it much better than I could as a £130 a night B&B, &B, uh, but we're paying more, so I would expect the higher level of service and extras and things. And to be honest, everything I've just discussed are just little niggles, and I would go back to uh, the Rosewood in an instant. Well, when my piggy bank is a bit fuller anyway. So that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. I'm still feeling a little tired and emotional after the weekend. So I'm going to take it easy for a couple of days. We once had a couple stay here at the B&B and they'd come straight from their daughter's wedding and they just needed uh, to decompress. I just, I remember them. They just looked like rabbit in headlights. They just were completely dazed. And I, I, I know now exactly how they feel. So I think it probably would have been a good idea to go away for a few days. Um, worth noting if you have a, a child's wedding coming up. So I hope you found it useful. And if nothing else, I hope it's given you an excuse to go and stay somewhere lovely. Just for essential research, obviously. If you do want to go and stay somewhere lovely, there are some gorgeous B&Bs in the Yellow Duck collection on my website. If you've got anything you'd like me to cover in the podcast, then please let me know. See you next time.